Hi there, you're listening to the Paralegals on Fire podcast show where you'll be getting tips and actionable strategies that you can use right now to fast track your paralegal career. I'm your host, Ann Pearson, former paralegal and paralegal manager who left big law in the concrete jungle to start my own company, the Paralegal Bootcamp, where we give online courses that help paralegals make more money, increase their job security, and cut out the learning curve. All right, let's jump right into today's episode. Today, I've got a great episode for you that's going to be another reason why I keep telling you that you should focus more on your career security than your job security. I might be starting to sound like a broken record, but stick with me for a minute. It is so important for me to get this message out there. And yes, this episode does kind of focus more on litigation paralegals, but I really think the topic of e-discovery applies to everybody working in the legal profession. And there's no better example of that than my guest today. Michael Cordero started his career in the legal field as a litigation paralegal, a litigation paralegal who learned about e-discovery early in his career. One could say he wrote the book on it. Well, wait, because he did literally write a book on it, and it's titled Project Management and e-discovery. Michael is the president of the Association of Certified E-Discovery Specialists, that's ASEDS, and that's the world's leading organization for training and certification in e-discovery. He's been consulting in e-discovery, information governance, project management, and legal technology for 25 years. And that includes a 10-year stint at Skadden Arps and a 10-year stint at Struk & Struk. He also operates a successful consulting practice that serves corporate legal departments and law firms. In addition to his SEDS certification, he's also a certified project management professional, PMP. Well, Michael, welcome to the show. Hi, Anne. Thanks for having me. Well, so congratulations on that position at ASEDS. Um, how long have you been the president at ASEDS? And tell me a little bit about what you do there as president. So I've been here about three and a half years now. It's been a wild ride. You know, we're an educational association, so our our focus is really improving people's career and, and enhancing their networking and really just upskilling folks so that they can find more fulfilling roles in the industry. What do I do on a daily basis? So I am responsible for the association. So we've got obviously events that we're at. We've got our training certification programs, all of which require updating and and we've got, you know, all kinds of marketing initiatives to get the word out and get people interested in what we're doing. Um, we write for the blog and we speak on different panels and on all the sort of administrative things that come with running a small team and, a, and an association that has a global footprint. That sounds a lot different than your role as a litigation support person working in a big law firm. It is. And, you know, I didn't really realize how my life had changed, or or should I say, until I had left the law firm world, I didn't realize how much they were really sort of sucking the life out of me. And and I'll, I'll share a little story with you. I, I, I came to the realization that I was meant to be a teacher or instructor or professor or whatever you want to call it, because I've been doing it my whole career. Like even back when I started as a paralegal and we were learning technology, it was part of my job to share what I'd learned with lawyers and paralegals and other law firm personnel to get them up to speed. So so I've been teaching pretty much my whole career and now and now I just get paid for teaching. <laughs> nice. 
Well, let's go back to the beginning when you were a litigation paralegal. When did you get your certification and how did it benefit your career as a litigation paralegal? So this, the, the ACED certification actually didn't exist when I was a litigation paralegal. The association, ACEDS, is only about 12 years old, founded in 2010 by some enterprising lawyers and, and legal support personnel. We all met in Miami for weeks on end and designed, you know, what, what are the things that people need to know? Remember, I mean, even if you go back 12 years, you know, e-discovery is still a pretty young industry by comparison. And so I got certified in the first beta group, which was, I want to say it was late 2010, early 2011. And so, yeah, it was, uh, I only worked on one portion of the exam. So there were, I don't know, 40 or 50 other people involved. And it was a, a very long process to, to develop the exam and work with the psychometricians who, who vetted the questions and really built out the study materials. And so, yeah, that's when I got certified. So it didn't exist years ago, but you know, like literally been doing e-discovery since before they called it e-discovery. Yeah, me too. Back when it was, uh, take these reel-to-reel -reel tapes that have been downloaded from a computer hard drive and converted into something electronic that we can look at on the computer. Yeah, no, in the late 90s, it was like, scan these documents. That that was e-discovery. <laughs> yeah. In fact, you know, I remember my first, I think my first, e quote, e-discovery or exposure to it was in the late 90s. And it was on, I can't remember the name of the software, but it was put out by Arthur Anderson. At the time, I just can't remember the name of it, Docu not DocuFind, but anyways, that's how old it was. It was literally on a DOS computer that we were using this database. Was it DocuMatrix? I can't remember. I just can't remember the name of it. I don't even know what happened to that tool, to be honest with you. <laughs> well, so this is good to know. I did not realize that ACEDS was that young of a corporation. And the reason I think it's good to know is that if there are paralegals out there thinking, well, it's already too late for me to do anything about it. There's already all the this e-discovery and the certification and all of that. And so it's not too late for someone to jump in and say, hey, I might want to get certified. Well, I'm going to push back on that. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be doing the association any service by not doing that. It's a fair point. I understand many paralegals, I think, sort of get caught up in their career and what they're doing. And you know, they go to work and they do their job and they do it well. Paralegals are some of the smartest and, and most capable people in the legal space. But there's always opportunity to to grow beyond just being a paralegal. And we see, you know, junior paralegals grow into case managers. Well, it's it's no different in e-discovery. You you become an e-discovery project manager or an e-discovery project coordinator or specialist or whatever they're calling them these days. Um, it's just picking up a new skill, no different than moving from, say, litigation to intellectual property or to bankruptcy. You know, there's a certain skill set that comes with each, with each practice area. E-discovery happens to be focused in, in litigation, although it, nowadays the processes that are used in e-discovery can span any practice area. I don't, I don't know any practice area that doesn't somehow involve electronic documents. So it's, it, it's really an opportunity, I think, frankly, for paralegals, regardless of what practice area you work in, to, to learn something new and really, look, I've made a whole career out of it. So, and you know, there's 10,000 other people who have done the same. So there's definitely opportunities. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And I think going back to the career security versus job security, the reason why I tell paralegals that, Michael, is because 
you know, to me, when I hear somebody say, I don't need to know e-discovery, I work at a really small firm or whatever it is, when I hear that, I say, yeah, but you won't be working there forever. And you're limiting your future job potential because I see, I don't, you tell me if you see this in the industry that more and more, it's not just, you know, back in 2010, 2012, maybe when ACEDS first came out, it used to be a plus if a litigation paralegal had e-discovery experience. To me now, it seems like it's mandatory. How can you be a litigation paralegal and not know your way around e-discovery? I think that's right. I think that's a, that's 100% correct. I don't, I don't know a litigation matter that doesn't involve some electronic document, whether it's a, a text message, a Word document, a PDF, a spreadsheet, a presentation, something. Two parties are opposed to each other in litigation. There's an obligation to collect any relevant material, and that material is going to be on a computer somewhere or, or some other device. How you navigate a litigation without understanding how to properly collect, process, review, and produce that electronic information I'm going to go out on a limb here and say you're not really working in litigation if you don't know e-discovery. Yeah. Wow. I agree. So do you have any advice for paralegals who say, well, we don't do e-discovery at my firm because maybe it's a small firm and it is the lawyer's firm, right? They're the boss. So the boss says, I want you to print out these all these PST files, the emails. I want you to print them all out so I can read them and highlight them, and then I'm going to give them back to you to scan them back into the computer. Do you have any advice for the paralegal dealing with that? And that may still happen today, uh, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm sure there are still paper documents involved in litigation. The challenge that arises is when you know you print something out and then you rescan it. You lose all the metadata. You lose the searchable text. You lose some of the functionality that we have available in the e-discovery industry, you know, the technology has gotten so advanced that we're using machine learning and AI and, and tools like those to parse through large volumes of data. So just to back up and answer your question directly, even if you're a small firm and you have small matters and small numbers of documents, uh, why wouldn't you want to capture those electronic documents in a way that makes it much more efficient to work with them, to search them, to categorize them, or e even simple things like creating you know, a, w a witness book for a, a, a deposition. It, it just makes so much more sense to do it with today's computers and technology. Y you lose too much. And you could, there's a, there's a good chance, you know, the federal rules talk about producing electronically stored information in a way that is usable. And if you're printing out documents or, and then just scanning them and turning over TIFF images or PDFs, it's not really usable to the other side, um, in today's world anyway. So you can get some pushback from opposing counsel or even perhaps the court. So there's that. Yeah. So that's what I would say too is, um, well, to me, it's a waste of time. You're spending more time doing it, but I think maybe they're quote, getting away with it because the other side is also not pushing back. And that's maybe the only reason why they're able to get away with it. No, and that's true. And, and there are, of course, exceptions. Some firms, certainly smaller firms, don't have the internal resources or the training resources or even the technology in-house. And so they're relying on an outside vendor to to do the e-discovery work, uh, and that's fine. But still, if you're a paralegal or a case manager, or, or frankly, an attorney for that matter, and you're responsible for moving a matter forward, you have to know how to manage that vendor. You have to make sure that the vendor's doing the right thing. So, so that's important too. You need to know it for that reason as well. Well, and 
don't you see the trend that there are so many, I'll call them DIY e-discovery tools now that vendors have put out there that make it easier for these smaller firms with no e-discovery experience to do it themselves and do it more efficiently? Absolutely. And and some of the smaller ones have been gobbled up by the bigger companies. You know, that's just the nature of the business, right? But yeah, there there are really simple tools out there that'll just hold your documents in a safe, secure place, keep them organized by matter, enable you to do some searching, sorting, um, you know, filtering, find things that you need very quickly rather than, you know, going to a case room and pulling a box off a shelf and rifling through a box and, you know, post-it notes and all that, that whole world that we used to live in. It's it's just much more efficient today uh, to to do it using computers. But th- there are exceptions. Uh, I think they're few and far between. At the end of the day, as so many people I think like to say in the industry, you're not doing litigation if you're not doing e-discovery. It's that's the bottom line. I like that. I like it. Well, so while we're on the subject of tools, let's talk about what everybody's talking about: Chat GPT. Oh, my favorite. <laughs> and other AI tools, but how do you how do you think that AI and those tools are going to affect e-discovery trends? I mean, I think to some extent, you know, AI and machine learning have really impacted certainly document management, document review, document production, the, the ways in which we sort of analyze what we've got in terms of discovery material. And there's been huge strides made there with technology-assisted review, but the you know, I just came from Legal Week last week, the big legal tech conference in New York City, and the word of the day was chat GPT and, and how it's going to upend e-discovery and the legal business. And I just don't see it yet. I don't think we're there yet. You know, there's there's issues with the data that's in, you know, the chat GPT engine. It's, it's first of all, it's limited in date. I think it only goes up to sometime two years ago or something like that. And you have to think about the source where where did all that data come from? That that data that was ingested into the Chat GPT engine is really just sort of scraped from the internet, right? So what's being excluded there? Anybody who doesn't have access to the internet, their view or their thoughts or their writings are not included, right? Who has high speed internet? You know, think about who that is and and how that impacts the data that's actually in there. So so and and as has been well reported in the news, you know, these generative AI tools, they're, they're not infallible, they're not perfect. And certainly the standard in e-discovery is not perfect. The standard is reasonableness. But if you enter something into one of these chat engines and you get really bad information or even sometimes dangerous information back, that's just not even close to reasonable. To answer your question, I think we're not there yet. I think that certainly machine learning has made some contributions that make things more efficient. But, you know, the true sort of AI robots replacing lawyers doing documentary, we're not there yet. And, and frankly, I don't know that we'll ever get there because think about it. We don't have a machine yet that is capable of reasoning like a human. And so I just don't think that's going to change much. These are tools at the end of the day. These are tools that can enhance and make you more efficient, but unlikely, I think, to ever really replace people. Right. That made me think of a conference I was at. I don't know if you were there. Um, it was an ASEDS conference. It was out on the West Coast. It was in San Francisco, and it was the paralegal. It was a paralegal conference for e-discovery. And so ASEDS was there. Um, Jared, the rec- recruiter from New York, was there. So Jared 
myself and oh gosh, I can't remember his name, but he he had just recently started Logical, the CEO there. Oh, Andy Wilson. Yeah, I think it was Andy Wilson. Was it? Yeah. So we were on. We we sat for a roundtable discussion, and the questions came in from paralegals about e-discovery. And so this was way back. I want to say it was 2014, 15, maybe. I think it was 14. I think I was there. Yeah. Yeah. So so one of the questions that we got that I tell paralegals this this story all the time. One of the questions from one of the paralegals in the audience because Andy was discussing, you know, his tool, his electronic tool, and what it was capable of doing. And so she asked, will there be tools one day like yours that are going to take away paralegal jobs? And the three of us on the panel, all in unison, but, and I can't remember which one of us said this, but it was left with them that it's not going to take away paralegal jobs unless you're the button pusher. If all you do is get to know the surface of how to do these things, if you're the paralegal who just checks off the button that it's responsive or not, and that's all you ever do, then yeah, maybe someday there's going to be a tool that can take your job. But if you're the project manager, if you're leading these e-discovery projects, a, a robot's not going to be able to take your job. Yeah, I agree. And and we have seen a good deal of automation, uh, certainly in the e-discovery space, and things like things that we typically sort of re referred to as you know machine time, moving data from post-collection into processing, for example, you pretty much set your parameters for processing and you are pushing a button to really just move that data through the pipeline. Doc review, to a certain extent, the TAR tools that are out there, they're not perfect. So you do need to have some level of human QC, I believe, in order to make sure that you're, you're getting the outputs that you want. But there has been a good deal of automation I, I don't think that paralegals be replaced in, in the same way that I don't think lawyers will be replaced. Again, it comes down to the, the human reasoning component, the, the piece that machines just aren't able to replicate. Repetitive automated tasks, yes, some of those things can be automated. This report out today by Goldman Sachs saying that, you know, 25% of the world's jobs are going to be eventually replaced by AI, machine learning, and, and robotics and I don't know. I, I mean, it depends what you're doing. But that that thinking piece, that that cognition that we do that no one else, at least that I'm aware of, is able to really do. No machine, certainly. Uh, I I think that's just not that it can't be replaced. Right. I could see the 25 percent number as you were saying that. I was going to say, whoa, that's really high. But when I think about what we see just in our normal lives, right? I go to the Publix, they just recently remodeled it, the grocery store. And just like Walmart, they have installed all of these self-checkouts. And now there's only two cashiers working instead of six. And because a cashier just has to simply scan the item, so. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. Um, and I'll take it one step further. Uh, there are stores in the United, I think it's Whole Foods that's doing so I'm not sure. Maybe it's Amazon. I'm not sure. But anyway, every product in the store has an RFID code and you don't even go to a register. As you walk out the door, a, a scanner picks up all the products and your credit card simply gets billed. Oh, I heard that. I think it's Whole Foods. Yeah, it might be. Yeah. Yeah. It, it bills to your Prime, Amazon Prime. So yeah, it's happening in some aspects, but someone's still got to unlock the doors to let the people in. Someone's got to manage the store. Someone has to make sure the orders are filled. You know, the uh, machines can do some of that stuff, and certainly machines are an enhancement or a tool. But I don't, I don't see like 
the workforce coming to an abrupt end anytime soon. <laughs> right, right. Well, so along those lines, let's talk about what a paralegal can do in terms of certification, because I believe that as a litigation paralegal, I would I would definitely have gotten my SEDs if I stayed in litigation. And so let's talk a little bit about the test, because anybody who's even approached the subject has probably heard the rumors that it's hard. It's a very hard test in order to walk away and have those SEDS credentials. You got to earn it. So can you tell me a little bit about it and what someone might expect or do? How would they plan to pass it? Yeah. And I like, I like that people have the impression it's hard. I think it can be a little bit intimidating. It's not as hard as you think, but at the same time, I'll say that if it was easy, everyone would have it. Good point. Yeah. And one of the things that we really pride ourselves on is that it, when you do pass the SEDS exam, when you get that certification, you know what you're doing. You know what you're talking about because you can't pass it if you don't. And so that's a great segue into the exam. What is the SEDS exam? So the SEDS exam is the is the one certification in the industry that is sort of end-to-end e-discovery across the EDRM all of the sort of handful of processes that you need to get right at every stage of the e-discovery lifecycle. It's not a certification on a particular product. We are software agnostic. We don't care what tool you're using. No matter what tool you have, there are still a handful of things you need to get right in collection, in processing, in review, in production, and so forth. That's what we're testing. The exam is 145 questions. You have four hours to take it. When you enroll, you have a year to prepare for the exam. And that's but not because it's hard and it takes a year to prepare. Uh, some people do it in months, in weeks. We give people time because most of the people who are studying, preparing for the exam, and there are over 500 people right now actually studying, preparing. They have lives and they have to work. And so they, they're doing it after hours. So we give people plenty of time to do it. And ASETS is really here to help you. Look, we have study groups that run two, three times a year where, you know, 25 people get in a Zoom room and they have conversations and learn things from each other, share their experiences. They go over practice questions to help them prepare. We have a mentorship program. When you enroll, you get access to about 11 hours of lecture, mostly of me talking about best practices in e-discovery. You get a, a study guide that's really contains all the information you need to know to prepare for the exam. So we're really here to help people succeed. I, I get that people um, have a certain fear of the exam. People have the same thing for SATs, the bar exam, pick an exam, right? Exams are stressful, but we think that we figured out ways to help people succeed. And that's why we're here. We're not just going to say, you know, here, uh, give us your enrollment fee and have a nice day. We're going to help you prepare. We're not going to just leave you sort of to the wolves. Um, we want you to succeed. It helps us. If you succeed, we succeed. And that's really um, the message that I'd really like to get out to paralegals. That's a good message. I like that message. Well, what was interesting I picked on, you said you've got 500 people now studying for it. So over the course of this next year, you could have potentially, mm -hmm. if they all passed, another 500 people certified. Yeah. What percentage of those do you think, or do you know, are paralegals versus lit support versus attorneys? Oh, you know, it's a good question. Uh, and I wish I had an answer. Un unfortunately, not everybody who registers or enrolls not everybody identifies. We we do know over the years that there's probably about 20% lawyers. I'm going to venture a guess that there's a probably about 30 to 35% paralegal lit support, sort of, you know, people who are not lawyers. 
And then there's uh, a whole bunch of folks in like corporate legal and other other roles in law firms. Legal secretaries sometimes sign up because they're looking to move into a paralegal role or into an e-discovery role. So it's it's a healthy group. I just don't not everybody identifies when they enroll, so we don't always know what their active sort of role is at the time. The reason I ask is because what I want to tell paralegals is at some point, this could be the difference, right? If you're applying for a litigation paralegal position and someone's got their SEDs and someone doesn't, that could be a determining factor. I don't know for certain. I'm just throwing it out there for the listeners, so pay attention to those numbers, people. Well, so then do you have any idea, maybe even from your own experience, does a litigation paralegal with whether it's solid e-discovery skills or the certification, do you see a difference reflected in salaries between just a litigation paralegal versus an e-discovery project manager, let's say? Yes, absolutely. And I should preface all this by saying, you know, salaries in the legal space for paralegals and even for e-discovery, honestly, tends to remain very regional. So it really depends where you are in the country. If you work in a big city like New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, you're going to see higher salaries as a general matter, you know, than, you know, if you were to plunk yourself down in the middle of Kansas or Nebraska, just th- those are market forces, right? And even between LA and New York, you'll see a difference. And you'll see that on the attorney side as well. Salaries are generally a little bit different, but it's it's been remarkable to watch e-discovery salaries really skyrocket in the last, you know, four, five, six years. There are there are starting e-discovery project manager roles in New York City that start at $150,000 a year. And anybody, I was a paralegal. <laughs> you, you know this as well as I do. Mm-hmm. You know, paralegal salaries are just not getting that high unless you're moving into sort of middle management, case management, or some kind of leadership role, right? You're not getting even, you're not even breaking six figures. Right. So, I mean, any, everyone who's listening, do the math. And that's not to say every job, you know, jumps out at you like that. I'm talking about a New York City, big law firm, experienced project manager. Um, and they, and they frankly, salaries go higher than that. We're seeing it. It's, it's pretty common. I like that. I like it when I hear salaries going up for potentially paralegals who are out there with e-discovery certification or project management. And, and, and honestly, the, the, the truth is, and I'll just say this because I'm sure paralegals are listening, you already have the foundation for everything that you need to catapult your career into e-discovery. You have that legal foundation. That's 50% of the work, right? Understanding how the legal system works, the processes that a litigation goes through, and whether that's an intellectual property litigation, a commercial litigation, a bankruptcy litigation, all those things, if you've been working in those areas, you already know what discovery is. You know what the federal rules of civil procedure are and how they apply, right? All you're now doing is using technology to enhance those discovery processes. And uh, listen, if if that's a career boost for you, what are you waiting for? Exactly. Exactly. Thank you for that. I like to end all of the episodes with actionable strategy, something that paralegals can walk away from and say, okay, I'm going to go write down a plan or I'm going to go do this, something that will fast track their paralegal career. So what kind of actionable strategy or you know, top three things do you think a litigation paralegal should do if they're not comfortable with e-discovery because they're starting at zero? Maybe they're nowhere near ready to take the SEDs, but they understand for career security and they heard those numbers you just threw out and said, oh, I I want some of that. What can they do to 
get some exposure, get some knowledge? So this is something that we struggled with. Obviously, the the said certification has existed since late 2010. It became real apparent pretty quickly that not everybody sort of out of the box was going to be able to prepare for and pass this exam without some foundational training. So what did ASEDs do? We created some foundational training. <laughs> there are programs that we offer, the eDiscovery Executive Certificate, the eDiscovery Technical Certificate, and what we call the Advanced eDiscovery Course that are not certifications. They are um, self-paced, more foundational, introductory for people who have never worked in e-discovery, ideal for paralegals who are interested in sort of breaking in. And so, I, I mean, the, the big takeaway I would say is if you're not sure where you're going, reach out to us and we'll f figure out where you're going. We have a mini assessment on our website that kind of gives you a 10 question assessment of where you are in the process, what you know, what you don't know. And then we have an entire customer service team that answers the phone and is equipped to and frankly, you can reach out to me. I'm not hard find. And we'll figure out where you are and where you want to go and, and what are the logical steps to get you there. It's based on a number of different things. What work have you done? What have you been exposed to? What technologies have you used? How long have you been doing this? Uh, there's a whole calculus that we look at when we're, ex when we're assessing someone's experience and preparation for the exam. Okay. And then I want to look at a total separate category, which would be what about the paralegal who's already got their SEDs? They're keeping up with their credits, they're advancing their career, but they want to continue to advance. I noticed you've got your PMP certification. Would would you recommend that that's their next level or would it be something else? Yeah, I think so. Uh, and 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 I'll share that you know my original goal was to go to law school. I I tried it. I didn't like it, and so I never finished. It's also very expensive, but I got involved in project management in the early 2000s, even really before like the EDRM existed. And I started thinking about, because I worked on these big giant um, class action securities litigations where you had, you know, 45 law firms and service in all these different locations and just started thinking about better ways to organize on uh, the pleadings, the correspondence, the service lists, all the things we used to do as paralegals in the late 90s. And I just, I don't know, on a whim, I just started looking at more process-focused ways to do things. And, and the Project Management Institute came up as an entity that, you know, I needed to get it associated with. I joined, I eventually pursued their certification. I got their Project Management Certification. It is the world's largest, most popular, I'm saying popular is not the word, but the most well-respected Project Management Certification. There are over a million and a half certified project managers in every industry. And you know, anybody who knows me knows that I'm a big fan of project management. So I think that's a great second step. Once you begin to understand the e-discovery lifecycle, integrating that with project management is really a good next step. And I mean, honestly, beyond that, go to law school, most diversified degree you can get in the world. Um, and even if you don't want to work in e-discovery, a law school degree will get you a long way in your life. Mm, okay. Well, before I let you go, since we're talking about project management, I just realized that being the title of your book, is that like what level of experienced e-discovery user or person would you recommend for your book? Does it start with the basics where someone could learn about e-discovery? Absolutely. So a little history on the book. I started writing it in 2013 when I was teaching at a small paralegal school out in Tempe, Arizona. So I originally wrote it for students, 
who knew nothing about the legal industry. So they needed some foundation. So the book actually starts by sort of laying a, the foundation for what is the legal industry, who's in it, who are the stakeholders, who are the decision makers, and where do you, where do you fit in that process, right? So it covers law firms, legal operations, vendors, and all the different sort of components of the legal industry. And then it gets into some of the basics of discovery. But the last six or seven chapters really dig in on e-discovery. I mentioned at the top of the broadcast, what are the handful of things that you have to get right across the e-discovery lifecycle? And that's really what the book is about. Originally written for students, it's become quite popular for people who are even in the industry. There's a great index, there's great forms in there that people can use. So I'm I'm seeing people using it as a, as a desk reference nowadays. And the second edition of the book is just out with a refresh just last year. So there's a lot of new content in there, a whole new chapter on TAR, some new information governance pointers. So a whole lot of good information in there. And if you go to my website, edpmadvisory.com, you could find the book there. And I'll even offer to your listeners, coupon 20, Ooh, coupon 20 gets you a 20% discount. Coupon 20. I got to write that down. That's a surprise. You even surprised me with that one. Okay. Any uppercase, lowercase, doesn't matter? I don't think it matters. Okay. Try both. Okay. I'll put a link to that. Tell me the URL again, EDPM. Advisory. Okay. Yeah. So I want to put that actually, I'm going to reverse those actual strategies because I put them in the, the show notes page as well. So your first actual strategy, I think, would be to read the book, right? And then have that base knowledge. I love that it was written for schools. I didn't realize that. Get the base knowledge from the book and then start your e-discovery journey. Journey. Yeah, that's a good way. A journey. That's what we call it. It's been a journey for sure. All right, Michael, thank you so much for joining me today and to share your knowledge and insights about e-discovery. I love it. The audience is going to love it. And I appreciate you taking it so much time with me today. Happy to do it. Happy to come back anytime. All right, everybody. That's it for this week. Bye for now. All right, that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, hit the subscribe button in whatever platform you're listening. And please take a quick minute and leave a review of the podcast and share this episode with just one colleague or friend who you think would benefit from what we discussed today. Share the knowledge and the entire paralegal profession elevates. See you next week. Bye for now.